0: Welcome to the one on one with one and only sports podcast. I'm your host Theo. One, you're listening to season two of the podcast, where we're going to look at the stories and lives of the players, coaches, and personalities that make up the world of Ultimate. Each week, I'm going to talk to a new guest, we're going to talk about their journey into Ultimate, what their life in Ultimate looks like, their most memorable Ultimate games, and a fun rapid fire segment. And the episode, if you like the podcast, I would love for you to subscribe or follow on whichever. Podcast platform you use and get the word out about the podcast to others. You can drop a review on a platform like Apple Podcasts as well. That would be greatly appreciated. Truly appreciate all the support. And new episodes come out every Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by Haddock Sport Performance. Is your training making you better on the field? If not, you got to check out Haddock Sport Performance, a premier strength and conditioning company designed for and by ultimate athletes. HSP provides each athlete with a truly personal and unique training experience. They work tirelessly to get to know who you are and what you need, and together with you, they help build a plan to be your best in competition. Check out hatexportperformance.ca or HSP on Instagram to learn more. Now with all that done, let's go! This week's guest is Dina Elimelech. Dina played for the University of California San Diego Dragon Coalition where she helped guide the team to a national title in the women's division at the 2019 USA Ultimate College Championships. She was named Ulti World's 2019 Women's Division I Player of the Year and she was named the second runner-up for Ulti World's 2018 Women's Division I Offensive Player of the Year. She was named a first-team All-American in both 2018 and 2019. Dina has been part of the rise of the UCSD women's program, going from 13th in 2017, to losing in pre-quarters in 2018, to winning a national title in 2019. At the club level, Dina has played in the mixed division for Family Style, Dorado, and Seven Figures. More recently, Dina has played for the women's team San Diego Wildfire. With Wildfire, Dina has made it to the pre-quarters in 2019, while also making it to the quarterfinals in 2018 after being seeded 16th. She was named on Ultimate World's 2019 Women's All-Club Second Team. Internationally, Dina has represented USA at the World Under-24 Ultimate Championships in Germany in 2019, where they won a gold medal. Dina currently lives in Burbank, California. Here is my interview with Dina Ellie Malik. All right, so I'm here with Dina Ellie Malik. You may know her from some of the epic layouts from the 2019 USA Ultimate College Championships where her team, UCSD Dragon Coalition, won the title. So really exciting to hear about that experience and just her journey into Ultimate. So Dina, how are you doing all the way out there in California?
1: I'm doing well, Theo. Thanks for having me.
0: No problem. We're going to get started right away into your journey. So how did you get into playing Ultimate What were some events or people that were instrumental in helping you get into the sport?
1: So I didn't know much about Ultimate entering into college. I had only played very loose high school frisbee for fun every once in a while. But I first joined my first year of college in 2014 at UC San Diego. I kind of fell in love with it right away. My teammates were great. And I think... The reason that I stayed so long or, or committed was because of my teammates and my coaches who were definitely the driving force in how I became the player that I am now. Or, uh, yeah, I, I owe it all to my coaches, Carlo and Alicia. So,
0: For sure. Big shout out for the coaches. And in terms of even finding out about the team, did someone bring you, you know, to club tryouts or, or like to club days to figure out where the team was like or who the team was? Like, how did you figure that out even just in the beginning?
1: So I actually I went to try out for or I wanted to try out for club soccer, but something happened and I missed the tryout. And I happened to be walking during like a booth advertisement thing and just signed up because of the fond memories I had of of playing <laughs> that loose version of frisbee
0: yeah the pickup style <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you see this club sign you know for the tryouts so you head to the tryouts and what was your experience like because as you said you never played really in a formal context so what was it like to actually be able to see formal ultimate girls who, who train all year round to play maybe they play club as well so what was that experience like your first taste of a formal ultimate there
1: it actually took me a really long time to understand the flow of the game. Uh, coming off of, of soccer and track in high school, I was very used to a certain type of sports flow. But yeah, it was really cool to see my upperclassmen running these drills and playing so well together on the field. It just it took me a very long time to, to learn how to cut and when to clear. But yeah, it was very easy to want to wanna stay being surrounded by all that.
0: You mentioned previously that you did track in soccer. So what did that teach you to bring over into the Ultimate game? What sort of uh, transferable skills and abilities do you have from those sports that you brought into Ultimate there?
1: From soccer, I think, so I was mainly a defensive player. So I think going into Ultimate, that kind of put me in a defensive mindset. It was new for me to, to be able to play both offense and defense.
0: Yeah, you're stuck with just defense and soccer. I get it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So being able to score points and to to help in offensive movement was very new for me. So while that was new, I think I, I was mainly a defensive player. I still am from soccer. And then from track and cross country, I think the mental toughness of having to compete with yourself. I still struggle with mental toughness on the field, but I do think like when you're on the line for an 100 meter or or like a high jump and it's just you against your time or your distance or your height or whatever good good help there
0: (laughs) with soccer since you didn't play club soccer is that something you still do now or you fully immerse yourself just in ultimate no other sports uh for dina there
1: uh yep totally all frisbee now (laughs) i played a couple pickup soccer games and i do miss soccer i still watch soccer every now and again but I think i love ultimate much more
0: (laughs) yeah that's totally fair it seems like as i've mentioned on the podcast before you caught the ultimate bug there so you don't want to stop so can you talk about your first couple years with the team as i mentioned in the bio didn't mention any nationals appearances in 2014 to 2016 there so that was your first years on the team what was that like in your development as a player and the development of the women's program there at ucsd
1: so we had several most of us were just like very athletically driven had done sports in high school but weren't great at throwing mechanics or field awareness that type of thing so we did a lot of of hucking and going deep and it and it worked sometimes but i think it was my first year i remember we went we went to Stanford invite i don't know how we were invited i think the team before us had done okay and we got totally demolished by all these really great college teams so my first and second year was mainly just kind of our team getting used to each other we learned a lot from the the teams that we lost to and I think the coaching style kind of shifted a little where we all began to learn handler movement which helped us as cutters to see when was the right time to cut or when we should clear that type of thing we kept building over over the next couple of years. And I think having that experience of not being a top team, I think we kept our funness as a team uh, very prevalent going into the last few years of of my college career.
0: Yeah, we'll get into the, the last few years. There are lots of good stuff happening. But in terms of developing your skills there, what's something that came really easy to you in the sport and then something that took a little bit more time to develop?
1: I think the easiest thing for me was cutting deep. The hardest thing was understanding how the defense worked exactly and how timing worked as a cutter. There was a time during tryouts when I caught the disc and I, I didn't know what to do with it. And I had to turn to my teammate on the sideline and say, do I, do I like put it down? Do I, where do I go? So that was, I think I still struggle with field awareness and timing every once in a while. I think the only thing I was really confident with was deep cutting and chasing as a defender. Not smart defense, but very hands-on, sprinting, get-to-the-disc type.
0: Yeah, the track and soccer background coming into play for sure. And then, so in 2017, your team breaks through, makes nationals, right? Which is really awesome, the 20 best teams in the country. So you end up finishing 13th of that tournament. Was that something your team was proud of? You were just happy to be there or were you hoping for more? What was it like in 2017 there?
1: Uh, we were thrilled to be there. I think that was the main The main goal was to just play up to the level of the team we were at or just play our best. I remember we entered the, the national fields and we saw our little team logo on one of the entrance signs. And I think, yeah, we just had so much fun in that tournament. I think we were up on UCLA in pre-quarters I think and that was really cool we didn't beat them obviously but I think that was a good moment for our team that whole tournament was, was just a lot of fun it was some game that if we had won we would have made it to pre-quarters maybe that oh
0: it's pool play yeah yeah, yeah that makes sense
1: I didn't know much about um how bracket play and pool play worked either
0: Yeah, that's definitely something you have to get used to, for sure. Coming from different, even tournament-style sports, the whole like pre-quarters, and especially for those listening that might not know, in the college championships, the first team gets a bye to the quarterfinals. If you come in second or third in your pool of five, you cross over with another team and you play pre-quarters. So it's definitely a different type of style there. But in 2018, your team breaks through in terms of doing well in pool play you're losing the pre-quarters to a UBC team there what was that like and what was the motivation for the year after knowing that you were pretty close now you've made it to pre-quarters team is trending in the right direction
1: that Nationals loss was really tough I think we went into that tournament thinking that we were like it was an easy shot to at least quarters or or even semis yeah, we were just gassed. I think we had a, a game to Texas that we lost in pool play, I guess. And I turned to my coach and I said, "Is there still a way that we can like make it to quarters?" And yes, we had pre-quarters and but we were hot and tired and just not playing well. I remember we we so badly were trying to get our head in it and connect. And we kind of did in the last half, but by then it was probably too late, but Good learning experience for for us.
0: And in 2018, you were seated really high in that tournament. Is that correct? I think you were like the second seed or something like that, right? Yeah. So that must have been hard as well for the coaches and the players to have the high expectations and then kind of uh what the kids say, like blame out or bottom out there. So was that motivating for you in the off season then to really focus in on that 2019 year, your senior year, right? So was that just a big motivation for you?
1: yeah we kind of look back on it every once in a while uh we We watched the game the pre quarters loss several times over the next year, just as teammates sometimes to to remember what it felt like and how much we wanted it more this time. I think if it hadn't been for that loss, we wouldn't have done we wouldn't have been as successful in twenty nineteen
0: It's what uh, players and coaches say is like locker room material, something that you can put up there. I know there's probably not a locker room there for club sports in Ultimate, but locker room material in terms of just that motivation, right? So take the audience through 2019, just the whole year, right? You are able to get Player of the Year from World, which is an awesome honor, as well as winning the championship itself. So trending upwards and winning the title in your senior year, what was that like?
1: Oh, man. Um, I think that's the best or the most fun I've had during the sports season in my lifetime. I think the thing that made it the most fun was my team. We were confident in our in our playing style by that time, and we, we all were pretty close. So we kind of just, we had fun while improving. We started to discuss things that were important to our team, that helped us grow together. Yeah, our coaches have so much genius about the sport. So yeah, we just kind of kept Kept winning. Except for Northwest Challenge, there was some struggles, but I think any loss is is good.
0: Dina, it's okay if the loss is at Northwest Challenge because Nationals is where you kind of want to go undefeated or not lose in the big moments. So walk us through the Carlton game. It's quarterfinals. I know you're going to talk about it a bit later. So maybe just talk about the focus and feelings the team had going into the bracket now because you made it to the bracket. You have this goal, right, of national championship. So, what was the team like heading into those uh, few games, quarter, semis, and then finals?
1: Yeah, I think we were still pretty confident. We, we were doing a lot to recover between games, so we felt refreshed and ready to play. Our warmups all went well. Uh, it was very upwind, downwind. That was that kind of shifted our play strategy, but we had beat carlton in stanford invite finals so i think we were all feeling pretty good but it was very very much one and one and one and one yeah it was very intense the whole time but i think a lot of grit in that game which is why i think it's my favorite
0: yeah well uh we can maybe talk a little bit more about that game especially the epic layout there later on in memorable games but in the finals that was a, a big upwind downwind game as well watching that on tv i remember noticing it it just seemed like no one could score on that upwind side. So what was the communication you heard from coaches and just from players in that game about how to adjust to that situation?
1: So when going downwind, our biggest strategy was to just huck it, try and get good positioning, try and get a D. And then once we're close, we had a lot of teammates uh, who were very, very skilled in small ball, upwind throws. I think that's what got us every single upwind score was almost every single one was that pretty offensive flow that was just very fundamental definitely was a challenge especially when you spend like five minutes doing really tiny upwind fast movement stuff and then you turf it on a little like gust of wind or something
0: for sure and in the final point there universe point something that was noted on the broadcast and I'm sure people have talked about it after as well is They were all seniors on the line. Is that correct? Yeah. So all the fifth-year seniors, fourth-year seniors, they're all on the line together on an upwind defensive point for the championship. So what was that like?
1: Our coaches had talked about it before. Carlo had said to Alicia, "Uh, remind me to do at least one point or just one point where it's all seniors. And at the last point, Alicia was like, remember you said to do one point with all seniors. And so... He put us all on and I think those were the players that I'm most comfortable with and have the most trust with on the field. So like I threw some really wonky breakside throws that kind of popped up, but I didn't doubt like Samantha Wool had some great grabs there. It kind of felt like a perfect ending to have.
0: Yeah, the perfect crescendo, as they say, for sure. And did you play with them previously? in other tournaments as a whole line or is this just like a bit of the o-line bit of the d-line coming together kind of thing would you say you have a lot of experience playing together as one whole line
1: i don't think we had much experience as a whole line that was that was kind of like a mishmash of o-line d-line but during practices like we all have had experience at least in parts together so it just felt really natural
0: So can you take us through the final point there? You're near the end zone, and you make a big snag and throw a lefty back in, I believe, to win the game. So what was going through your mind at that moment when all that was happening? Or were you probably not thinking at all?
1: Uh, Yeah. I don't remember most of it, because I I think I had so much adrenaline. Like, my heart's beating fast now just thinking about it. I wasn't stressed. I think I, I was still trying to play loose and not... Yeah, it's just a very... Kind of like in the movies when like everything goes silent and you can only hear the heartbeat. That's kind of kind of what it felt like.
0: You're in the zone for sure. And so you throw the winning pass. Your team has just won nationals. So what was your first thought and first uh, thing you said out loud to someone when you won? That's a big deal, right? Trending upwards and finally winning in your senior year.
1: Yeah. Wow. There's so much emotion because it was like the last game of my college career, and we had just won upwind against the best team in college for several years. I cried. There's like several images of us in this big pile. I ended up on the floor with a couple of seniors, and we kind of just sat there and like hugged and cried and laughed. And yeah, it was definitely like the top of the crescendo (laughs) right there.
0: Yeah. And you spoke a little bit about team culture earlier. So what can you say About the team culture that led to your success, not just on the field, but off the field as some of your great friends now that you have. So, what would you say about the team culture specifically at UCSD?
1: So, I think there were definitely some struggles bringing the team together and being very aware of each other and how we were feeling, and and mental health and cohesion as a team. I captained that year with Kelly Iwamoto and Stacey Tran, and we tried our best to kind of Bring in some values that would kind of hold the team together. Our coaches introduced mental health days where we didn't really have to say anything. We could just, if we needed it, we could just take a practice off. I think all those things, even though it wasn't perfect and there's still like stuff the team is working on, especially in that last game, we were very much a unit. Like none of the other stuff really mattered.
0: And you gave a shout out to the coaches earlier a little bit there, but I want to give you a chance to. Give a shout out to them and anyone else that's really been impactful in your career, not just in college, but now in the club level.
1: Carlo and Alicia have definitely been the best coaches that I've ever had as an athlete. Yeah, just the the way that they approach coaching and being aware and helpful. I think I learned the most from them. And they're definitely the reason that we won. Like if if you look at the way their coaching style had changed over the five years, They tailored it specifically to the athletes that we had at that time while also, I think the best thing was teaching rookies handler movement or new players handler movement so that when they have those throwing mechanics and the field awareness, they just kind of slip into that role pretty easily. They're they're definitely the best.
0: (laughs) Anyone else that you want to throw a quick shout out to as well there, Dina?
1: I think... Leanne Goh, as a teammate, I I just really look up to her. Uh, She's very incredibly smart on the field. And I think she was the glue of the team. Like in pre-quarters, 2018 Nationals, she was the one who was playing the best and the smartest. And she still, she always keeps, I mean, as far as I can see, she's got a level head the whole time. She's really great under pressure. And there's a lot to learn from her. I think that would be my, my shout out.
0: <laughs> so something we see a lot of college players do is they play club in the summertime as well when they're done school for the year. So you're not dissimilar to that. You also did club during the summertime. So what was that like in developing your skills during your college career while also playing club in the mixed division and also women's?
1: So it definitely helped me grow as a player. My first summer, I played for Family Style, which was a mixed team. At that time, I was very used to vert stack, so that was like my first intro into horizontal, which I had a lot of trouble with timing cuts and and throwing to a cutter in a in a ho stack. but yeah, I think it helped my throwing I think it helped to learn from people who were older than me and every year, even though I played on different teams i I picked up new things and I think those blocks kind of built on each other to to make me a better player during the college season.
0: That success led to something really cool happening in 2019 as well, playing with the USA women's team. So what was that like playing with the top women under 24 in America? What was that like going to Germany and being very successful there, obviously winning a gold medal?
1: That was really kind of a fun new tournament style for me. I think my favorite part was actually the tryouts, just because there's so many high-level players and even the practices and stuff getting to play. I I remember it, at the training camp, Claire Trope was defending me on an undercut and she got a layout D on an underthrow and it was just like, wow, I get to play with, I get to learn from these people and and play such high-level ultimate. Yeah, definitely a different role than, and same for club, a different role than what I had on my college team. It's just cool to to have a Part on on high level teams, like that, and to to watch my teammates and learn from them. So overall, that was a really great experience.
0: And that was your first experience with Team USA, right? Because you, as we've talked about in the bio and, and during this episode here, uh, you didn't start playing till university, so you weren't playing U twenties or, or getting in the eyes and ears of people running these teams. So that was your first experience, right, running with Team USA there. Yeah. And did you find the tryouts intimidating at all? You said you found it a challenge, but did you find it intimidating knowing all these big names were there and you're trying to match up against them?
1: I think the, the first tryout I went to, I did make the team, but that one I was very, very nervous. It was so much fun, but I definitely felt kind of awestruck the whole time. The next time I went to the tryouts, I was a little more comfortable. And I think that was the most fun I had because I, I knew some of the people. I also felt a little more confident in my play style. So yeah, I was able to learn a lot and just enjoy enjoy those times.
0: Last question here of segment one. So in terms of getting comfortable at tryouts, as you just mentioned, and, and knowing about yourself and your play style, what's some advice you would give to someone else trying out, maybe for Team USA, Team Canada, whatever country, wherever they live, or a club team? What's advice you would give them in terms of feeling comfortable at tryouts, being able to perform your best at that point?
1: It's a hard thing to give advice for. I still, it's something I still struggle with. I I would say looking bigger picture, everybody's there feeling some type of way about having to compete for a spot. I think doing your best to try and play loose and not try to be perfect all the time. Yeah, and just like by the end of the day just feel like you have put all of your effort into your your playing and supporting during the tryouts
0: you mentioned playing loose earlier as well right on the universe line trying to stay loose uh and those things so in terms of practical application what's something that you say to yourself to keep yourself loose just so maybe a listener who struggles with that as well mental performance can learn from it
1: yeah that's tough sometimes sometimes i'll just kind of take a step out of my body on the line like it's just a game of frisbee like we're just playing with a piece of plastic i'm going to have dinner later in a couple of years i won't be here like this will just be a memory and that kind of helps like oh okay that's fine um doesn't always work also like during a point that can be very tense as well but yeah i think taking a step back is was the most helpful for me during big game or stressful situations
0: anything you can do to keep yourself loose is going to be important because otherwise your your muscles tense up and you're not going to be able to do the things that you normally can do and your muscle memory may be off as well so that definitely makes sense dina we're going to move to segment two here and talk about your day-to-day life so let's start first about college what was it like going to class not sure if you had a job or some volunteer work as well But you had to balance a lot of things, right? Playing high-level ultimate there, the college scene. It's a big-time commitment. So what was that like in college?
1: Uh, Yeah, in college, I I worked at a restaurant as a server. So my day was just like, wake up, go to class, maybe have a shift, maybe have more class. And then three days out of the week, we had three-hour practices. Two of those were in the evening. One was in the morning. and I think because I love Ultimate so much, it was easy for me to be like, "Okay, now it's time to to run around and and learn and play Frisbee for a few hours. There are definitely times with when tournament season kicked up where I had to really focus on getting my schoolwork done, so I didn't have to bring it to a tournament or like switching shifts at the last minute before <laughs> before a tournament weekend. I don't know honestly how I balanced it. But yeah, it worked out in the end. I think I just kind of went with the flow, even though it was a little bit busy.
0: (laughs) You got to pay off school, right? So it definitely uh, makes sense there. And you had three practices a week. Were you also doing track workouts with the team as well or weightlifting sessions? Was that something you did more on your own? Or is that something you did with the team as well?
1: So we had Tuesday, Thursday evenings, we had practice. And then Sunday morning, we had practice. And then on Mondays, we had like a mostly mandatory track practice in the evening. That was like an hour and a half for conditioning. And then outside of that, I I would do some stuff on my own, but I didn't really start like weightlifting or targeted training until 2018 and 2019, mostly in 2019 when we kind of geared up for nationals. We did a lot of heat training, which was a lot of fun, but. Yeah, the track workouts really helped.
0: For those who don't live in in the hottest areas, can you describe what the heat training is about and uh what it did to prepare you for nationals?
1: Yeah, so a big factor of our exit in 2018 was not being prepared for playing in high heat and humidity, um not being used to that kind of environment. So 2019 our coach had us start I think like a month before nationals we did a lot of hit workouts in in a lot of a lot of layers and hot environments to just get your body used to being in that kind of environment it, it helped significantly during nationals even though it it wasn't it was hot but it wasn't as hot as we were expecting I think but there was definitely a significant difference from all that heat training that we did.
0: I was going to say, I thought you were just hanging out in the sauna for a long time. and uh,
1: We did do that too.
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go. Playing ultimate after. <laughs> and so how did you stay cool during those sessions or even at nationals? Was there something, I, I've seen some teams with spray bottles, those spray players on the sideline in between points. Is that something your team did at all? What did you do to kind of battle the heat?
1: During nationals, actually, I think most of it was our alumni. Chip Chang has this wonderful like hydration drink recipe that I still use now, actually. She really took care of us. We had cold towels, that hydration drink, snacks, food. I think we had spray bottles, I don't remember. But yeah, we stayed very, most of us stayed very level the whole time. There was still like the heat kind of gets to you, but uh, we were able, able to recover. And I think most of it was because of Chip and the alumni being there.
0: Yeah, so shout out to them for sure. And when you're playing on turf, it definitely can heat up, right? Because the semis and finals are most likely on turf. So that plays a role as well. And so let's fast forward to your day-to-day life now. Obviously, no Ultimate really happening with COVID still uh, happening pretty much wherever you are in the world. Except for maybe New Zealand. Shout out to them. So what's life been like for you now? Not really having Ultimate the past year. You're now, I assume, working. And not in college anymore, as we mentioned, your senior year had happened in 2019. So what's your life been like since?
1: So currently, without Ultimate, I work for a tree company, so I'm able to actually work solitary. But I think being so used to like having five years of no breaks, all sports, I definitely still try to find ways to stay active. Another shout out to Haddock Sports Performance. Mike gave me some great programming that I do to kind of simulate Ultimate and keep me on a a good level to ramp up when whenever that happens. But yeah, I try to get outdoors as much as I can. There's definitely a lot more time now than there was with Ultimate. But yeah, just chugging along.
0: <laughs> Being in Burbank, California, you have it pretty good in terms of the weather. I'm just looking outside right now and there's snow blistering here in toronto as we're recording so it must be nice in california to be able to kind of do what you want all year round
1: yeah it was uh we actually have like a snow not snow my gosh a rain storm coming but a couple weeks ago it was 88 degrees felt like summer which is bizarre <laughs> but yeah it makes it easy to to get out and do field workouts or hike or something
0: and it definitely gives potentially some of the teams in your area the southwest region even South Central region where there's the hotter weather all year round, allows you to maybe get an edge on some of the teams out in the Northeast who can't necessarily train all year in the winter there.
1: Yeah, that's that's something I, I think about a lot. I don't do well in the cold, unfortunately. Playing in the cold is really hard. I need a lot of layers. So props to anybody who can go out in like 30-degree weather and play Ultimate.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what they do out there in the Northeast. Uh, where I am and also like Minnesota I I just think north central regionals and things like that where it can get pretty cold and you mentioned Haddock's sport performance earlier so I'll give a shout out to him as well a good buddy of mine Mike Haddock you can check out his episode that I did with him a few months ago now so you can check that out in the podcast archives if you want to listen to Mike's life as a trainer he trains athletes like Dina so it's a pretty cool connection there and Is there anything else uh, in terms of your day now? You said your day's opened up because of no Ultimate. So are you chomping at the bit to get back into Ultimate? Or are you sort of uh, enjoying your break now?
1: Yeah, kind of enjoying the break. So doing more art, which is something I love. But yeah, mainly focused on work and uh, trying to support my friends in whatever way I can at this time. Which is, it's a weird time, but there's a lot of ways to to be productive or support people.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And Dina, we're now going to move into the archives. Where we'll talk about your favorite game and your least favorite game. So which one would you like to start with?
1: Uh, least favorite.
0: <laughs> All right, so we'll start with your least favorite game. What's the least favorite game you've ever played in? Doesn't necessarily have to be a game that you lost. Could be a game you won, but you just didn't enjoy the game. So what was your least favorite game?
1: I think because of how... We felt after the game, the UBC pre-quarters was, <sighs> it's not that I didn't enjoy playing it, but I still, there's feelings that I associate with that game. It, going into that game was rough, during the game was rough, halftime was rough, losing was rough, <laughs> but definitely a good, a good thing to hang on to now.
0: And is that something that you I know I think of some of the games that I've lost and I kinda of use that as motivation as well. I'm sure a lot of athletes do. So is that something that was in the back of your mind, just for yourself personally, as you were training for the twenty nineteen season, just remembering how you felt during pre-quarters?
1: Absolutely. Watching the film helped seeing where we disconnected. You could kind of see by the body language and the the way we were acting on the sideline that but that's it's a good way not to, to be at the upcoming Nationals. So yeah, watching that game several times was really great motivation for me.
0: And it's definitely hard to, as a leader, or, or not even if you're a captain, but just someone who's an older player on the team who's looked up to, it's hard when you see things fall off the rails, as they say. And there's honestly a feeling sometimes that you can't really do anything about it. It's just happening. Was that sort of what was happening in that game? in terms of uh, you just felt there's nothing we can do to get back and it's just slipping down, down, down.
1: Yep, I remember the the gap kept getting bigger. I kept trying to say stuff like, well, they broke us that many times, like we can do the same back. But we just we didn't have enough. We didn't do enough to get to get all the way back. We did kind of do okay in the second half, but it was hard not to... Not to look at the game and be like, wow, what are what's going on here? We were we were doing so well this season. It kind of just fell apart a little bit.
0: As you just mentioned, you came in with high expectations, the season was going well. Do you think that was something that weighed on the mind of the players during the game or for yourself personally?
1: Yeah, I think we all were a little bit too confident. Not that confidence is a bad thing, but I don't think we we went into those last games with as much force as we needed to, or the proper mindset. Everybody was really kind of crushed after that game, kind of just sat on the field for a while. Like, how do you wrap your head around, oh, we were, thought we were going to send these, but we were out in the pre-quarters. Like, we're out of the tournament now. It's just very jarring.
0: Yeah, I'm sure you'll remember that feeling for a very long time, sitting on the field there, just staring out into space and wondering what went wrong. But now we're going to give you some good feelings Talk about your favorite game. It was the Carlton game, I believe you mentioned earlier. So walk us through that game more specifically in terms of kind of the ebbs and flows and then maybe the big layout catch that you had as well. What was that like?
1: So that I think that's my favorite game because of how it started. There was a point when it started to feel like, oh my gosh, this is gonna be just like pre-quarters in 2018. We're just we're gonna be out now. This is gonna be it. Carlton broke us up wind and then scored downwind. I think all of us were kind of feeling that way. And it was, we had two choices. It was either kind of succumb to that and and play stressed and tight or keep fighting and like really dig. And that's definitely what we did. It It took a lot of tries. It's because of the offensive and defensive handlers that we were able to bounce back. But yeah, I just remember being so so tired after that game like putting everything on the field and scoring the final point was like okay we we passed quarters we can like take a breath that game was was very intense everybody was wanted it really really badly on both sides and that's I think what made it my favorite game to play in
0: and you talked about being in the zone earlier so do you remember what just being in the air and, and you probably can picture it now and just be really excited in your mind, maybe hearts beating faster again, but what was that like just knowing that you had the game in your hands, you're at midair and then you land and it's game over.
1: Yeah, there was, there was a couple like big hucks that had gone up before. It was super downwind. So they were kind of sailing. I had missed a bit earlier. So I, I kind of wasn't sure what this one was going to look like. There had been a turn and then another turn on the point. When we got the disc back, we were kind of far from the end zone. So I thought, okay, well, I'll just like, I'll run deep and maybe it'll throw it, maybe it'll sail. And then she threw it and I saw it go up and I had to adjust because I didn't know where it was going. Yeah, kind of another blackout moment where I was like, oh, I I think I can can get this one. (laughs) And I did, (laughs) which was great.
0: Definitely a good feeling. And you've probably seen, the pictures of the people on the sidelines getting excited. I think there's one person that doesn't look impressed. I know that's like a meme now or something, but everyone's pretty excited. I've watched a video where everyone just gets up and is just so stoked that that happened. So what was the first thing that happened to you, the teams running towards you, and what were they saying to you at that time?
1: I think we were just like cheering and yelling um, just because it was such a high stress situation. This was like the release where where it's like, yes, we can go to semis now. Um, like the hardest game of our season just ended in a positive way. We just had a, a puddle for a little while.
0: <laughs> Do you think that allows you to play looser potentially towards the other games because of you felt like maybe a monkey off the back? You've made it past further than you had in 2017 or 2018.
1: Absolutely. Our coaches, we had a meeting kind of before semis after we all Eaten and cooled down a little bit and they said well this was our goal do you want to you guys fought like a really hard game everybody's super tired do you want to keep trying to win this thing or to to get further and everybody was like yes yes that was so much fun we want more at that point we were just kind of on a high and we were very excited and we pushed that into the semis game and that went very smoothly and yeah that kind of pushed us into the finals as well
0: so uh, definitely a cool memory, and it's forever uh, on the website of Ulti World and Ulti Photos as well. I think you have a huge poster of it or something as well, probably somewhere in your house. So something you'll always remember. And so, Dina, now we're going to move into segment four, finish up the podcast here with some rapid fire. So we'll start with some ultimate questions first. So which throw do you prefer, your flick or backhand?
1: Backhand. I really love backhand breaks.
0: What about hammer or scuba?
1: Scuba. I think a little like scuba over the top of the cup. Lefty scuba, right scoober. It's easier for me than hammer.
0: <laughs> oh, you got a little bit of both. The lefty, the lefty scuba's coming in. I know the lefty backhand was a big deal before, but now it seems like a lot of right-handed throwers they're throwing the lefty scuba over the zone as well. So I've seen that for sure. And what about would you rather drop a pull or drop a catch in the end zone?
1: Ooh, drop a catch in the end zone. i I'm so not good at at catching the pull, that that's happened one too many times. Where I just like, I'd rather have a have a turn and be able to play defense far away.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's totally fair. Seems like a pretty common answer. So, what about five silver medals at nationals or one gold medal?
1: One gold for sure. I think I would have been happy with a with a silver because of like how we were feeling, but definitely the one gold.
0: Some hot topic questions for you. Should Ultimate be renamed?
1: Ooh. I mean, I kind of just call it Frisbee when I'm telling people. I don't think I have a preference on that one.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, the funny thing is, if you were to write that, like in terms of like a paper or an article, you would actually not be able to, or you'd have to put like the trademark because Whammo owns the rights to that word. It's kind of like Kleenex or like Q tip. Those are like words that we use, but it's actually like facial tissue. For example, not Kleenex, just because they own the, the term, so... It's funny. Uh, yeah, that's like a little... No- I think it's a, a decently well-known fact, but that's why yeah, people have to call it Ultimate, not Frisbee per se, but I, I call it Frisbee as well, so I get it. What about should Ultimate have referees?
1: Hmm. I... In some ways, I do like Spirit of the Game. I don't know I don't know if I like... I like the self-officiating aspect of it. There's, there's several aspects of it, um... Chris Lehman wrote a great article about spirit of the game and how it's how it's built to certain group of like white athletes with similar ideas of spirit or like what spirit means. I don't know about referees i I mean I grew up playing with referees in soccer. I like observers personally in in most situations, but I think a self officiating sport is really cool a cool thing to have.
0: Yeah, you raise a good point there with spirit being uh definitely different for different people, of different people groups, and that's been talked about on the podcast as well. Depending on the culture you come from as well, it could also mean different things, so it's not just uh one way in terms of spirit. So that's a very good point. And last sort of uh, ultimate hot topic question, should Ultimate continue to pursue its place in the Olympic Games, knowing that the Olympics will one day be in LA? So,
1: personally, I think Yes, because when I was a kid, it was always like, wow, the Olympics, that's like, that's where I want to end up someday. I think frisbee is a great sport. I think if it ended up as like mixed beach ultimate being in in the Olympics, I think that would be really cool. You know, just a a dream of mine that I hang on to, (laughs) however Uh, realistic or unrealistic that may be.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you still got some years left in ultimate, Dina, so we might see it. And I've heard that argument as well that Ultimate could be something that is seen more on the beach just because there's less of those kind of sports, and that'd be something unique to Ultimate that could be done. And it'd be sort of viewer-friendly as well with uh, less players, so the camera angles could be a bit nicer as well. Now we're going to move into some non-sports questions. This one's a hard one, so get ready for it here. I'm going to give you a chance to have a meal with three people in the course of human history. They can be living or brought back from the dead. So you get to share this meal with three people. So who are you sharing this meal with?
1: I think Degas, I think would be a really cool person to just kind of observe. Me being fascinated by art and figurative art. I think that's a big one. Aretha Franklin, I think would be really cool to meet and talk to. And
0: Maybe she could sing too at the meal.
1: Yeah, I grew up listening to Aretha. So I think, oh, that would be exciting. Maybe Jane Goodall as well. I also grew up kind of seeing her as like a, she She went on into nature and she she lived among chimps pretty much and as a biologist and another aspect of my life being super interested in biology and nature. She was one of the people that I also looked up to as a kid. So I think that would be a nice <laughs> bunch of people to have a meal with. <laughs>
0: Yeah, some different people bringing some different interests, and in. I like that. And now I'm gonna give you a chance to put on a concert there in your. If you have a backyard there in Burbank, California, if you don't, pretend you do. So you're allowed to book any band or artist in the world. They could be active or dead or broken up band or an artist that no longer sings or or whatnot. So you got to pick three and the order in which they play at your concert.
1: I think. I would start with um Cesarea Vora, who is another artist that I grew up listening to because of my dad. Just a really beautiful voice. I think that would be like the starter. I think Trampled by Turtles, I'm really into that, into that style of music now. So maybe that in the middle. I love the beatles. <laughs> maybe some beatles to close it off. But that's so hard. I my music taste shifts from from day to day. <laughs>
0: Yeah, eclectic mix. You're not the only one, so do appreciate that. And last question here of the Rapid Fire. You can't pick ultimate as the answer to this question. So I'm going to give you all the talent in the world. You can play any sport that you want for any team, and then you can also pick the position, or you can do an individual sport as well. So what would you pick? So you can't choose ultimate, unfortunately.
1: Oof. I think I'd want to play volleyball. Well, wait, no, I take that back. It's not enough running around. I think if I could be like a really incredible 100 meter dash track athlete, I think that was something I really wanted when I was a kid, but I never, I uh, I was okay in like my age group, but I didn't have the talent to carry that through. But I think if I could really, really be good at that, that's something I would love.
0: Yeah, it's always the most hyped event, right? The 100 meter finals and the, and any Olympic games any Summer Olympic games, that's the most hyped track event, so definitely get that. Representing Team USA maybe in the Olympics, is that sort of uh part of that as well?
1: <laughs> oh, that would be so wonderful.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. So Dina, that actually ends our show for today. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule. I know it's a little bit more free, but still the fact that you came on the podcast do appreciate it. So Dina, if people want to find out more about you, where can they find you online?
1: I'm on Instagram and Twitter at dina le
0: 27 yeah i'll make sure to put those social media links there in the show description as well i'll put some of the ucsd games you can see the final as well uh in 2019 where they play dartmouth and uh so i'll put that in the show description so if you feel so inclined you can check that out you can give dina a follow on instagram that's more of like an art sort of uh page right i, I think there's some baking in there as well like it's not really just ultimate right
1: Yeah, I actually have two Instagram pages. One of them is an art page. But yeah, less Ultimate related, I guess, for now.
0: Yeah, you get to learn uh, some of the stories behind the players. So that's uh, pretty sweet. So Dina, once again, thanks for coming to the podcast all the way from California there.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was great.
0: Thanks for listening. Keep an eye out for next week's episode where I interview Nathan Kalakovic. Nathan is known as N. Kalakovic and is well known in the Ultimate World for his coverage of the sport through photography and his sweet highlight videos. In this interview, Nathan shares about some interesting stories on how he filmed and took photos of his first Ultimate Tournament and his journey into quitting his full-time job and being able to work full-time capturing the best moments in our sport. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Juan underscore and underscore only underscore sports. And you can see some of my commenting highlights on YouTube at the channel One and Only Sport. Cashew listeners on the flip side. Peace.